This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone. Today I will be chatting with Dr. Colleen Reichman. Colleen is a licensed clinical psychologist in Philadelphia. She is also the co-author of The Inside Scoop on Eating Disorder Recovery. Colleen specializes in eating disorders and has a specific interest in the intersection of motherhood with body image, eating, and feminism. In today's episode, we talk about the unsustainability of motherhood in America. Everything from social media to the lack of support are topics that we will cover here. My purpose of this episode is to make mothers feel less alone. Expressing our feelings and having them heard is really important. Many of us may feel frightened, sad, frustrated, or angry today. So often we are told, especially as women, that anger is a bad emotion. We shouldn't feel that way. It doesn't allow us to move forward. I don't believe that. Anger, when used in the right way, can be used to create positive change. I love this quote that I recently came across. Anger is like flowing water. There's nothing wrong with it as long as you let it flow. Hate is like stagnant water. Anger that you denied yourself the freedom to feel, the freedom to flow. Water that you gathered in one place and left to forget. Stagnant water becomes dirty, stinky, disease-ridden, poisonous, deadly. That is your hate. On flowing water, travels little paper boats, paper boats of forgiveness. Allow yourself to feel anger. Allow your waters to flow along with all of the paper boats of forgiveness. Be human. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, 
L-Y-N-Z-Y for 30% off your order. And I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. All right. Good morning, Dr. Colleen Reichman. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So today's topic is going to be about how motherhood in America is unsustainable. So I think, yes. you know, we were talking before this, I, I think we could talk about this for a very long time, but we will try to hit some great points, you know, within the next 45 minutes to an hour, just about, you know, how it is, especially for millennial mothers right now. And, oh boy, we can touch a little bit on, you know, my leaving social media and just the experience that I think, you know, definitely contributes to all of this. And so do you want to start with, let's just start with, you know, why you think motherhood in America has become unsustainable? Yeah, I was, I was texting a friend this morning that I was doing this and she's also a mother and said something like, are you, are you guys just going to rage vent the whole time? Because there's (laughs) so, so much to say about this. So I don't even know where to begin. I think I was thinking about how just even my life last night and this morning, like if I just gave a snippet of my life, it really covers, it really covers it well, how it's just not sustainable. So tell us then. Yeah. So, okay. I have a six month old and a two year old, but that's not what makes it unsustainable. It's America. I think the whole (laughs) culture. I went to, after we put the kids to bed and I have the caveat here, the husband that's super helpful and involved, but he made dinner and was doing all the cleanup. And I was preparing food because I was preparing food for my six month old because we're doing baby led weaning and I'm trying to stay on top of that. And I'm just better at preparing it. So I was doing that in the hours after bedtime because I was going into work today. So I wanted to make sure she had that. And then I was prepping, just kind of finishing up notes for work. I'm also pumping because I breastfeed and I need to pump to uh, just part of my breastfeeding journey is pumping. So I was doing all of that and then fed her, finally got in bed around 12. And then she woke up around 4.30 this morning and then went, so I had to go feed her and she wanted to be up. And then, you know, I went and woke up my two-year-old because I felt guilty that I was going to work today. So I came up to play with him, was feeding her, was getting ready for work, got on the train, worried about being shot, just, you know, kept thinking like cortisol pumping through my system because there was another shooting in Philly yesterday, you know, among, I mean, that's not counting the one in Chicago, the mouse shooting. And then I was online on the train reading about our reproductive rights being stripped away and thinking about my daughter. And just by the time I get to work and have to pump again, I'm kind of already, I'm pumped with cortisol and then need to see clients and be present for them as well all while kind of just feeling guilty for not being with my kids, guilty for being at work, guilty for not being totally present for my clients. So I just think it's a good snippet of that's not sustainable. This is, that is not sustainable. You know, and just a little side note from that, you know, you're mentioning like you just felt your cortisol pumping. And I, I think many of us are now stuck in this fight or flight syndrome, like this fight or flight constantly, right? And to have your cortisol constantly pumping and to be in this stress state all the time, that can have so many effects on our physical and emotional health. And I want to do an episode just on that because I feel like that is where 
the majority of us are, and it's not healthy. And I also, I did do a little bit of a snippet into this with a psychologist last week, or sorry, a psychiatrist last week who specializes in child psychology. And I was talking to her about children, you know, depending on their age and what they might hear, are hearing about what's going on in the schools and it's making them feel unsafe. And what that stress type reaction, how that affects them when it comes to learning. I mean, if you can just like, even think for a second, like think about your most stressful day, right? And then like transfer that into a little child's body, right? And and have them feel that kind of stress, but then also send them to school where they need to try to learn for eight hours. Like it's not going to happen. They're not going to process. They're not going to remember anything and they're not going to be able to learn. And it's just like a vicious cycle, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and, and what you said, what you said is just so profound. Like, I mean, you said it kind of like nonchalantly, like that was your morning, but like for me on the receiving end, it's, it's like, it's very chilling, you know, like that is not normal. How are you supposed to be doing all of this under that, under that amount of stress? It's just not normal. It's not, and it's not, it's, and I could, if I think about it too hard, And when I do, I'll just start crying because, and that to me, again, it's like when I sent this topic to you, I was like, well, that's, I think that's evidence, like the constant cortisol. And if I think about my life and motherhood, even though it's honestly, my kids are like my favorite part of my life. I fought so hard for them. I had years of IVF. And yet if I think about it too hard, I just start to cry because it's, it's, and I know I have it so much easier than like, you know, so, so many other women and parents in this country, like I am beyond privileged and I still sit here and I'm like, yeah, I could cry thinking about it. Yeah. There was something that was very, it was really, really striking to me. I've, I've been doing a lot of work just on myself since 2020 with Black Lives Matter. And so I've, I've, I've been, you know, I read as much as I can. I talk with as many people as I can just to try to like expand my knowledge and just try to be a, a good ally. And this is kind of just like stemming off what you just said, you know, with July 4th, I was like, I don't really want to celebrate. I I'm feeling very, you know, anti celebrating America when not everyone is on the same playing field. That's like, you know, we're, we just, we're not equals and it's so disheartening and to not know what the future holds and all of that. And so it's just a little bit hard this year. And then I, and then I, I saw a few articles I was reading and, you know, you think, this has been the case for so many black women for so long. Like they've never woken up on July 4th and been like, yes, like we all have equal right. Like, so as you said, like for this to be such a privilege to say these things and is so true because you think about that and it's like, oh my gosh, like just to think that they have felt this way for so long about so many different things. And it's it's really hard to think about because I wish I could have been there and been a better ally earlier. But anyway, that's kind of just a side note. <laughs> I did, I saw on another, like a motherhood account this morning uh, and it was, you know, a, another white mother posted something that said like, when you can be shot for celebrating freedom. You're not free. Nobody is. And I was thinking, I appreciate the sentiment so much in the conversations and I could see myself posting something similar in years past, but that's what, this is what black women have been saying and telling us and sharing for, you know, so long. And we're kind of just waking up to it. 
which is important, of course, like as white women, but it just speaks to the difference in awareness and insight. Just like a simple case of the Jalen Walker, who was that 25 year old black man who was driving and they had pulled him over and they ended up shooting him. I can't remember. I think it was 60 times. Right. And then they ended up handcuffing him afterwards. And it's like unbelievable because then you, then you look at yesterday in Highland park, this white man who I think he was 22, he ends up killing six people, shoots, I don't know, dozens others. I I can't remember exactly how many people and they end up being able to apprehend him just fine (laughs) and bring him in alive. You know, so that's just like, anyway, I mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but to be able to talk about these things and yeah, I mean, it is, is it's talking about it from a privileged standpoint because of the color of our skin. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's very eye opening. Uh, yeah. Anyway, where do we want to go from here? (laughs) So so much. There is, there's, there's so many different avenues like that we could kind of go off here, but I just, I just wanted to, I think it's important to just recognize that black women, women of color have just been fighting for equal rights for a very, very long time. And this is the first time that we, well, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us have felt like our rights are, are being taken away. And that's a privilege for us because we have never felt that like the way that they have felt that. So. Yeah. And it's just important to own that. And, and I think it's important to like, we, like I'm sharing that I'm so exhausted and upset and, you know, about everything, motherhood, the state of the world, and I'm coming from a really privileged position. So I think both the and both is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. So before, I think let's talk a little bit more about like what you think is unsustainable about motherhood before we had, I don't know, let's just say before 2022, because I do feel like things have changed so drastically in a very like short amount of time in just a few years, but very, it's, it's accelerating. I I feel like, and so the last six months, I feel like things have just accelerated significantly, but before that, before we had to be worried about these other things more so than we were before, what do you think made it unsustainable then? Yeah, because I think the birth rate was still dropping prior to even 2020. So I think it does speak to, there's definitely an element of, you know, choice in that and just, you know, it's certainly valid to not want children. And I think there's also probably an element of people recognize and especially millennial women are recognizing that it's not, again, it's not sustainable. I think there was a real lack of societal, I don't know, appreciation for mothers and societal like uplifting of mothers and children that I, I've i heard and seen happens in other cultures. And I think that lack of just, I, I see so often and way more since 2020, obviously, but even before then, so often moms talking about joking about, you know, they say it takes a village. So where's my village? And I'm always thinking like, it's actually not that funny because that is what makes it, that's part of what's making it so hard is that we're doing it this like really strong rogue individualism that our culture upholds makes it, it's not possible. It's so hard to be a mother when that is the ideal, just individualism and each of us doing it going it alone. We weren't meant to do that, you know? Yeah. 
No, I, I to kind of add to that, you know, is is the fact that you can compare us to other countries that are, I feel like they make the family unit and especially moms, they support them in a way that is sustainable. You can look at like Finland or, you know, some of the other EU countries, Canada, where they have prioritized the family unit and made it so that the mother feels supported and the father feels supported and they're still able to give that extra time and support to their children and they're still able to maintain their careers. And here there is, there is quite literally none of that. (laughs) You talked about like, is this just going to be like a ranting, raving type of episode? And I really do believe, I don't think that we always need to be talking about, like, I don't, and I don't, I'd be interested to hear what you say to this. I don't think we always need to be happy. And I don't think we always need to have this counter argument to, okay, well, let's talk about how we could be more upbeat today about all of this. I think sometimes things like this just deserve exactly what it is, which is this sucks. And we are allowed to feel frustrated, worried, sad, mad, whatever it is we need to feel. And we can talk about all of these things that feel unfair. And we don't need to have the counter argument of, of, okay, well, let's, you know, do something, say something uplifting. And, you know, I think we can do that sometimes. Sure. I think it's great, but we don't have to do it all the time. So will we get there today? I don't know, but I'd be interested to hear what you think about that, you know, as far as, because I feel like sometimes people are, you know, will say, oh, you're just a woman going on a rampage. And it's that really, it really makes me, it's like, why am I not allowed to be angry about something? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, just a quick example, I sent out a newsletter last week and, you know, the week prior leading up to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I have, you know, I have a section of my newsletter where I talk about reproductive rights and what we can fight for and things like that. But in the newsletter last week, I did have anger. I was angry. And again, I think that's okay. We should be able to feel our feelings. We tell our children this all the time. We're not going to tell our children that they can't feel their feelings. That's crazy. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, and, and, you know, I think it was, I mean, I don't think I came across very angry, but apparently this one person thought I was. So she's like, oh my gosh, I'm unsubscribing. Like, you know, you're just ranting and raving about, you know, reproductive rights and I don't need to listen to your anger. And it's like, (sighs) you know, you know, that, that, I don't know what it is, but it really, it frustrates me because so often I feel like women are held up into this spotlight and we're not allowed to be angry. And if we are angry, oh, that woman's on a rampage. She's crazy. She's this, you know? So yeah, I turn it over to you. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? I definitely think that there's, and you know, we've internalized that. I think as women, there's this pressure that anger is not one of the emotions. I see it all the time with my clients that feeling like really guilty for feeling mad or saying they don't experience that emotion. And that's, to me, that's scary. And it's, it's necessary to unlearn that narrative altogether because anger is there for a reason. It's really, really important. And it, it's like a teacher. It's definitely a teacher emotion. And so I think about us feeling mad about motherhood, for example, and like us, you know, talking about it now and the anger and leaving space to just be mad is sacred. 
in my opinion, because we have to feel it, listen to it. And then of course, like at the end of the day, or, you know, at at some point we want to allow it to guide us to like, well, what are those, you know, instead of here's the up, you know, the uplifting side, I would want to use the anger to say, what can we do? Like, what are the next even micro steps? Because this is telling us something that something is not right. And we deserve to feel that way. And we, have to listen to that emotion as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I, with this particular episode, I just hope, my hope has always been that as, as a mom, you feel like you're less alone in the world and, you know, through all the different struggles and things that you might be worried or frustrated about. I, I hope that an episode like this, you listen to it and it just makes you feel validated and makes you feel like you're not fighting this fight by yourself, especially if you don't feel like you can talk to somebody else about it. So, you know, I, I hope that by listening to this, that's kind of what everybody gets from it. But um, Yeah, because if you factor in things like social media, when it comes to how we're all feeling, I think this is not at least millennial women are not posting much about like there's this image of motherhood especially that gets posted a lot about and I think it can lead to even more feeling alone like well how is that person doing it and how do they not sit and cry all the time you know and how are they not feeling angry like everything looks so perfect and there's so much beautiful stuff being written about it. So I think things like your podcast are so important for people to have a place to feel seen and heard. Yeah. So I think probably right now it'd probably be a good, a good time to talk about this. I will add in here. So when I had started my blog originally, it was, you know, it was just an outlet for myself. Like I didn't even think anybody was going to read it. And then fast forward, you know, about six or seven years when I finally, I was kind of like one of the last ones to hop on social media. I had this deep pit in my stomach about it. I I was like, I just, I remember feeling like, I don't need this. Like I like it where it is. I don't have time to be adding something additional into, you know, this fun thing that I was doing. But then I also was, you know, making a tiny bit of money, you know, here and there. And so it was kind of fun to have like that extra income, even though it wasn't something that I could ever sustain like a family or anything. It was just, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, this is really cool that I was able to create a business venture out of something that was just fun for me. And so anyways, I started, I started with an Instagram account. Actually, it was a Twitter account that remember Twitter back in the day, it was like the new and upcoming thing. So Twitter was really where you were first. And then, and then obviously Instagram. And so I've talked about this so many different times, like in, in individual episodes on my podcast, just about my experience about being on Instagram and then deleting Instagram. And, you know, I think when I first started being on Instagram, I had created a hashtag late night nursing feed because with my first and second babies, I felt like an alien. Like I I felt like I was just like on a different planet by myself alone and frustrated in the middle of the night and didn't have anybody else there with me. And so I created this hashtag where I would wake up in the middle of the night to feed my baby and I would post a topic and the topic could be 
anything related to motherhood uh, and people would chime in and anybody that was on in the middle of the night would like chime in onto my Instagram post. And it was like really cool because yeah, I love I that. Like, this is so fun, you know? And then when I would wake up for the next feeding, I would go in and I would reply to people and it was like this ongoing conversation. And so back then, you know, when I had done this years ago, I was like, this is really cool. It's creating a community of moms where we feel less alone. And I think social media in that way was very helpful. And it had such a positive effect, I think, on, on, on people, on moms that were feeling alone. But, you know, the caveat to that is it didn't stay that way. And I feel like Instagram in general and Instagram influencing kind of blew up and it was like this huge, it was just this huge movement, you know, of, of moms, especially that wanted to become influencers. And like you said, getting dressed every, I mean, I did this, I did this myself, you know, getting dressed every day and showing outfits and, and saying, Oh, okay, I'm doing all of this. And I remember so many moms being like, Oh my gosh, you seem like super mom. And I think back to those times and it makes me wish that I had deleted my account much, much earlier because there's, by saying that, they didn't feel like they were super mom. And I'm on the other side and I'm not super mom because they're not seeing, you know, the struggles that I have behind the scenes. Right. And it's just such a great example of, you know, them seeing me as super mom, me never feeling like super mom, but portraying the idea of super mom, even though it wasn't purposeful. It wasn't, I had so many good intentions of making people feel less alone. I would share things constantly that were struggles for me, but it doesn't matter because of like where you're coming from on that platform, especially if you are influencing. People are viewing you in a way that's different than viewing a friend. You know what I mean? It's it's not the same relationship, I feel like. It's very hard to explain, right? But they would think, oh, well, she's able to do all of this. Why can't I? And just feeling less than and feeling I, I didn't want to make anyone feel that way. And so, you know, with this unsustainability, I mean, I do feel that social media has played such a significant role in all of that, because I mean, even for myself, and I'm sure you, Colleen, could say, you know, a few of the same things. I would go on there and I would see even Dr. Becky, who I love. I think she's fantastic. I think she's got great ideas. But I would see all these things and like write them all down and feel like I needed to implement them all at the same time. And it was so overwhelming for me. And it made me feel like less than, you know what I mean? And it's not... It's not on purpose. What she's doing is wonderful. And there are so many tips that I have gotten from her that have been a positive on my like a positive effect on my family and on myself. But it's the overwhelming overload of information that you're getting all the time that you feel like you as a mom need to implement that is so unsustainable, right? Like what do you think? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yes, from, I think from, like, just the influx of information from the parenting advice to, like, the mom influencers, I think the fact is, just coming from, because I... I'm an eating disorder psychologist. That's the majority of what I do. And I think it's an image-driven platform. So even when you're not getting the snippets of information that are written, you're seeing images and people are coming from such a pure place a lot of the time. Like I see so many moms that do want to, I think, be vulnerable and share like, I don't know, just things about their postpartum bodies. And I think about the fact that I get where it's coming from. And so many of them are these like really thin, white, you know, conventionally attractive, younger looking folks who are sharing about struggles coming from that perspective. And I think it may end up doing more harm than good for so many moms who then, you know, compare yourself or think, well, if they're struggling with that, like, what would it, you know, what would they think of my body? And then if you look at just the parenting advice, like that on top of even just the image-driven comparisons and concerns and then all the advice that, you know, I, I run an account too. And I I think a lot about like, how can I ethically keep this going? Because there you cannot convey nuance in these accounts and these captions. And there are, for all the people it helps, I think we have to come to terms with the reality that it harms just as many because there's no nuance and but people are like you and I said writing it all down and then trying to implement without individualized recognition and it's just I wonder sometimes is it ethical because I feel like I worry about contributing to all of this no I I completely agree and at the end of the day, when, when I had deleted my account, it was for, you know, as we had discussed earlier, like so many different reasons. One of those reasons though, was over the years, over the past couple of years, like mostly two years specifically, I had just really come to the conclusion that just like you said, there is no nuance. And I just, I felt, I, I, I couldn't go to bed at the end of the day and, and be like, okay, you know, what I did today helped everybody because you don't know necessarily that that's, that that's what's happening. And I just, it's just really, really, really hard. Yeah. I just, social media, you were never, I feel like as human beings, we were never meant to have, and and I've read a lot of books on, on, you know, social media specifically and, you know, cell phones specifically, but just the the overload of information, but specifically for moms, just like all of these people trying to tell us what to do with our babies. Women have been birthing babies forever and have done, you know, just fine raising them and figuring out what to do with our babies because of instinct. You know, we are amazing human beings and we are able to grow an entire human birth the human and then know what to do. We could do that with literally no input because we did it (laughs) forever. 
forever. And you know, one of the beautiful things is that we have such amazing medical advances now that women who would have died during childbirth and pregnancy prior don't do that anymore, which is amazing, which is like great to have like all these scientific advantages. But as far as the social aspect, I think I could do without it. (laughs) Yeah. It's super stressful. It's like stressful to have like, and like aside from social media, you also have no less than a million like motherhood geared toys and objects to like choose from when you have your baby. Again, mothers never needed this. Babies slept in a, you know, in a, in an empty drawer next to the bed, you know, with like a swaddle, you know, there's so many. And, and as somebody who worked with a ton of motherhood and baby brands, and I, you know, had the opportunity and the privilege to test out all of these different things on the market and, you know, and advertise for them. And were they cool? Hell yeah, they were cool. They're amazing. And do they make motherhood easier? I don't know. Sometimes, sure, maybe sometimes, but they're completely unnecessary most of the time. These one-off things that just suck the boogers out of a nose or, you know, like, I mean, sure. Yeah. They come in handy, maybe here or there, but like, do you have to have that in order to be a good mom? No, you don't. And I think that's what you know, makes it really hard is marketing and advertising and social media that kind of make you feel like you need all the things to be that good mom and to, to be able to provide for your, for your child. But when in reality, they need nothing but you, like physically you, and that's it. This might be a little controversial, but even I think you about- controversy here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I've been thinking a lot about the American Academy of Pediatrics put out their new like safe sleep and, and feeding guidelines. And I thought about the fact that we had instant access to that. And we're all like reading about one thing that I noticed and have thought a ton about is the safe sleep guidelines say they just put in there like blanket statement, no weighted sleep sacks, right? And so- I thought about the fact that I have instant access to that. And now that's in my mind. And I have my six month old is not a bad sleeper because she's a bitch, you know, an infant, but she woke up the amount of the, how sleep deprived I was for those first six months. It got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't drive because I was too scared of crashing. But I, this, the company actually sent me their weighted sleep sack and I tried it with her after talking to my pediatrician and she sleeps in it. I still wake up at night with her, but it's a lot more like sustainable for me right now. And I thought about, well, that's going well. I got the clearance. I did everything that I thought was right. And then I have like instant access to, yeah, these guidelines that say like, actually don't do that. It's just, it's, I just wonder about all this information right at our fingertips. And there's so many pros, but the drawbacks are like, we stop listening to ourselves and taking our own situations into account. I'm a safe sleep advocate, of course. I just, I think there's nuance and there's also like harm reduction that needs to be taken into account if we're just blasting guidelines out to millions of people overnight. Oh, you know, and it's hard because it's like, okay, well, you've been doing X, Y, and Z for this long. Oh, wait a second. Mm, We're going to do this now. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot to, to take in all at once. And I mean, I think a lot of that has just been exacerbated so much with the pandemic and then the, oh, let's talk about childcare for a second. (laughs) So 
talk about stress. Like you enter into this pandemic and then they're like, we know that you probably work, but what we're going to do is we're going to have the children do school from home and you'll figure that out because you have to. And we are not going to provide you with any type of childcare or services or anything to be able to figure that out. You're just going to have to do it. And then your job is like, well, figure it out because either you're going to work or you're not going to get paid. And so of course, you know, many mothers left their job because they had no choice and they had to stay at home with their children because they weren't allowed to go to, I don't know, daycare or school or, you know, what they were doing prior. And again, the weight befalls on us because what are we going to do? We're not going to let our children, you know, suffer or put them in the hands of someone we don't know or, you know, any of these things. So we are the accommodating have to drop our job or drop whatever it is to be able to, to do this for our children. So the last two years, I mean, for many people have just been completely devastating as far as, you know, career wise, right? Like, do you talk to many moms that talk about that at all? Yeah, and I've I've recently had conversations about this very phenomenon, like, you know, leaving in droves because of the pandemic, leaving work. And there's a lot of, um, I think, chatter about how mothers, it becomes your whole identity when you're a mother. And I've talked to people of like, well, of course it is because they don't let us have anything else because they say like, you know, there's no other option than to leave work when like it always falls back on the mom. And it always falls back to like, this is, you just have to figure it out. And these other parts of your identity, you're going to have to let go of for right now. And I think, did you see that article about how, I think it was in January or at some point, like last winter, there were women that were getting together in moms, getting together in fields, like baseball fields to just collectively scream because, and yeah. And there were like huge amounts of moms doing this because that was what it was like coming to and it's still coming to, but I think it really speaks volumes if that's what we're using our very precious time away for is to get together to scream into like the dark January night, you know, that's, again, that speaks, it's just not sustainable. Right. I know it's, it's unbelievable. And now I feel like, of course, this year feels even more unsustainable than it was (laughs) before. So from your standpoint as a psychologist, let's just say I come in, I come in to see you and like Dr. Colleen, I'm having a really hard time right now. I feel even just using your story from this morning, I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I have to be a mom to two kids, my case four. I have this career that makes me feel important. It makes me feel like I have an identity outside of being a mom because I feel like that is so important for for many. And then of course, the recent stresses of things going on socially, like the stripping of reproductive rights, what the future might hold, you know, increased violence. And I spill all this onto you. <laughs> and what are you, what are you going to say to me? What, what can you help me with? What can you say? You know, I think a lot of it, a lot of it, more than people realize does come down to this simple act of allowing, allowing you to feel heard in this space and validated 
and like, I'm not crazy for feeling this way. And this is really, really hard. And I, you know, just like letting people get it all out. I think it's really underappreciated when it comes to, they talk about psychology. They've tried to really like figure out, well, what, what helps people? Is it CBT? Is it DV? Is it this technique? And it always comes back to when you do like meta analyses, it always comes back to the relationship, which is a lot of it is feel like somebody feeling exclusively validated in that moment. So that is a lot of what I do is leaving, like allowing the space and having the person feel heard, validated totally and completely without question. And then of, of course, I do think there's the necessary part of, well, how can we, like what little micro steps can we, can I support you with in your life right now to make things feel more manageable? Like what changes? Maybe that's something like, like the radical act of deleting social media altogether, supporting someone in that or, and there's also, because I, I come from, it's called a feminist relational perspective, but I do at the end of the day, try to talk about the systems that are in place and how we can collectively rise up to change the systems. I think having hope is a really radical act in time right now. And, and it's been shown that it's, it's, it's an emotion that you foster. It's an active emotion. It's not something that comes passively. So figuring out collectively, how can we advocate for systemic change? Talking and then feeling our feelings is so important. And we're all saying it's unsustainable. So how can we together rise up to change things? How can we get people, our society to listen to what we've been saying for so long, to listen to mothers and, and women? And that is definitely part of what happens in the therapy space, at least with me. So two things. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, having said that, I think for some, it's it's hard. Maybe they don't have somebody they feel like they can kind of, you know, talk about all of these things to you, or they don't want to burden their partner with it or what have you. And so I think I'm always a huge advocate of mental health, emotional health. And how can somebody who might be listening today, if they're listening to this and they're like, okay, you know what, today's the day I want to reach out to somebody. And I just want to talk about like a typical day in my life. Let's, I want to talk about, I want to vent about what what's on my shoulders right now, what I'm thinking about. I just want somebody else on the other end to just receive it. And how, how would that person go about trying to find somebody like you to talk to? I always suggest looking up, just starting with Google and looking up. If you're talking about specifically finding a therapist, you can even go on psychology today. It's called and put in, it allows you to search different keywords. So like maternal mental health or peri and postnatal mental health or support. And then that will bring up people that at least know, you know, things that you're looking for support in. And then I say like, really shop around when it comes very, be choosy with therapists, shop around, ask. I know this is easier said than done because so many of us are so full right now because so many people are struggling. So you'll, a lot of people are hearing like, I don't have any room. I don't, you know, and that's hard, but I would just say, keep looking and asking for free phone consultations. And then seeing a lot of research does say that you can tell if you're going to be comfortable and if that relationship is going to be beneficial for you within the first hour or so 
of a meeting with a therapist. So listen to your gut and be choosy and look around for a therapist that knows about these issues and will listen and validate and do all the things that you need. Yeah. I had used, I had used that website. I used that website and I had like looked up specifically for maternal health, mental health and found someone and yeah, they, they basically just say, okay, you can call me. And then you, you talk with them for a little while. And like you said, it's great to be able to get a feel for whether or not you'll be able to connect with that person and be able to open up with them. And psychology today is great because you're able to like figure out, you know, whether or not whatever insurance you might have would be covered by that specific person. The person I had chose was not in network or she wasn't, I think she wasn't allowed. I don't know. She wasn't set up to have insurance coverage. So I ended up not, I mean, I went a couple of times, but I need to find someone different because it is expensive. Like I will say it's, it's very expensive. So on the website, you're able to filter through that and see who might be in your network. So it's really helpful website. And there's also option. I don't know. You probably know more about this than me, Colleen, but telehealth visits, like, do you do a lot of that instead of having that person come all the way to you? Yeah. And especially for mothers, it's almost like that's, if somebody was saying they worked in maternal mental health and didn't offer telehealth at this point, I would be really suspicious of how much they understand and know about this life. Because I I would say telehealth is about two thirds to even more of my caseload right now, moms and, and other people. And I do think, you know, I'm also private pay, but we all, we all are as therapists, we're supposed to, you know, be offering sliding scale spots or certain pro bono slots for people, um, just as part of the profession and the, the social work aspect of it. So I would always say, ask, like, do you have any sliding scale spots open? Or a lot of my people do submit, I provide them with Super Bowl receipts and then they submit to insurance directly and get reimbursed, some of them for the entire, the full fee. So I would check with insurance, which I know is a pain, but to see if, if you can do that. But uh, but don't hesitate. I have people reach out all the time and ask, like, when the sliding scale spot's opening up or do I have, you know, other professionals will ask, like, do you have room for one pro bono spot in your caseload. And we are all supposed to routinely be doing that. So you had mentioned, I love this idea of like coming together collectively as a community of females and, and trying to make change systemically like that to me, that's like, I just like love that so much. Like if I am with a bunch of women and we're all there for the same purpose and we're all there because we're advocating for X, Y, and Z, like I, like I thrive in that environment. That's like an environment that I personally thrive in a lot. Do you have any suggestions of any, like, do you know of any, I don't know, communities or groups that women can be a part of like that? You know, I don't know. Like if, is there like a, a website that you can go to where you can be part of this collective movement so that you can kind of contribute or anything like that. Do you know of anything like that? I may know there's like one-offs for specific topics and things like that, but. Yeah. And that's what I've been encouraging. I don't know if there has to be like a, yeah, movement for mothers. I feel like it's just being talked about so much right now. There's something like, oh, I forget. I could 
email well, you. We can always and we can always like put some things in the show notes too because I can dig I can dig a little bit around and because I know you know there's there's things for specific like there's women's march for reproductive rights. There's so like if you felt really compelled to be part of that, which I personally did, so I signed up for that. And you can you can get alerts when there's a march in your area or they'll say, okay, here this is what we're going we're going to email our representatives about this particular topic or whatever. So that's kind of cool. So I'm sure that they have that about paid leave. I'm sure that they have that. I mean, there definitely is. I'm also blanking on the name, but sometimes, and this is especially for me, everybody's personality is different, but taking action. And like you said, hope, like taking action allows me to feel like something is being done for what I might be angry or upset about. And taking action is crucial for me when I feel like things are out of my reach or out of my control. And so maybe being a part of a group like this on a topic that you feel really strongly about might be really, really helpful. Yeah. And I totally agree. I, I've recently been doing more work and trying to get involved with just with gun control, mom's Mm -hmm. demand action. Oh yeah. Mom's demand action. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it helps me, you know, each mass shooting that happens like every other day or every day, it does help me to, there's like that hopelessness that sets in every time I read. And then I think about, well, at least I'm, you know, I'm with, I'm partnering with women that are trying and arguing. And I also think learning, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for education around like, how do we like legislatively, how do we push for change? Because there are other groups that you see in this country that are getting things pushed through and fierce advocacy, whether I like their cause or not, which lately I have not liked a lot of the groups that have gotten things pushed through, but they are like educating ourselves on how other groups are changing things and and then kind of how we can pressure the government and how we can use our collective power to because, you know, it's been shown in history. Like, I think Iceland. I was just going to talk about this. This is like, first of all, this is also just a really great way to end this episode. So talk about it. <laughs> it's yeah, amazing. I, I was because I, I think with the reproductive rights and everything, people have been mentioning, well, th- this has worked before. Women have in other countries like in Iceland in 1975, they had, I think it was a women. It wasn't just mothers. I think it was women. No, it was right? all women. Uh, all women. They, yeah. They went they, on strike, right? Yeah, they refused right. to work. They refused to cook. They didn't look at. They wouldn't look after the children for the entire day. They just went on strike, went to the streets with like signs and like were just walking and rallying together. Every single woman in Iceland, like yeah. crazy, yeah. And it completely like threw the economy off of its axis. Like they really showed that you have to listen, or because we have we're give like we have power um, and can use it if necessary, to make people listen. And so I think they had certain laws get pushed through. Like, I don't even, I don't know the specifics, but I know it's an example of coming together a collective effort that threw the economy off as access and then helped, you know, people listened and then change happened. I think we can, you know, there's ways. Yeah, there's... Collective. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I had heard about this story, honestly, it, it had given me 
so much hope because I was like, wow, look at this. I actually just pulled up the article, which I can put into the show notes as well. But it talks about how November 1980, her name, I, there's no chance that I could possibly ever get this right. But big dis Finboga Dotier? I don't know. Anyway, she was a divorced single mother who won Iceland's presidency in November 1980. She was Europe's first female president, and she was the first woman in the world to be democratically elected as a head of state, which is freaking amazing, right? And it goes on to talk about how these Icelandic children that grew up after 1980, they thought being a president was a woman's job. Like they saw that men were being elected as president in other countries. And they're like, wait, I thought being a president was a woman's job. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And you look at, I I believe, isn't it Finland that has a, a female prime minister right now too? Yeah, I believe so. And I think something like this is like, so it's empowering. You feel, you don't feel helpless. You feel like you have hope and power by just looking at other countries and what, you know, some of them have done to, you know, get to equality between man and woman and, you know, how a lot of these countries have in the past couple of years or decades have been electing female leaders. And it's really, it's really amazing. And I, and I do think there is part of this country that wants the same thing. I mean, we have vice president Harris right now and, you know, some, some people would think we could have never gotten here. Right. And here we are, we just elected the first black woman to the Supreme court. I do think we're also, even though some days you wake up and you're like, where's America going? What's going on? We still have made these, these progressions in the right direction when it does come to women's equality, but we have to kind of, I think, keep our eye on the target and 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 get active. Yeah. And get active. And, and, yeah. And I think for many people, like you had mentioned, it just, it helps to feel like you're being active and, and doing right. something. Yeah. 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 I firmly, firmly believe in that. I think getting off Instagram and stopping with the, trying to put up perfect pictures and getting more involved with like groups that there's so many groups that are creating or, tr- you know, advocating for the changes that you want to see. That's incredibly helpful for mental health in my opinion. So what I'll do, and and you can kind of look around too, Colin, I'll, I'll add a little section to the show notes and we'll just list, you know, some of the movements and groups that, that are, are pretty popular amongst different topics related to women's rights and empowerment and all that. And we can put it there for, for people that might be interested. Is there anything you wanted to add? I just have two quick questions for you that are unrelated to the topic today, but if there's anything else you want to add before I get to those. I don't think so. I think we we covered so much and there was a, a great amount of rage involved. And I think it was, yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, if you could give, if you could give moms one piece of advice, what would it be? I think I would go with not like working to not compare yourself and just kind of really keep in mind this idea of checking yourself and reminding yourself that it's unfair in our society. I think we're really set up right now to constantly be comparing ourselves and thinking about how we're not, you know, measuring up and then the guilt sets in and and all of that. So just remind yourself, it's not fair to compare to things that you see online, especially we never know what's going on with each other. And 
it's a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. So you have everything in you to be the best mom for your kids and that innate wisdom is there. And just remember that. All right. The last question is if you can make one meal for your family that you think everybody would eat, that is relatively quick and easy. What would it be? Oh my gosh. I have (laughs) my two-year-old is, he's actually starting feeding therapy in a few weeks just because he is the most, he is picky and doesn't cover what's happening with him. So this is a tough one. I would say everyone in the family, this is probably not the answer that people would hear, but everyone in the family, if we're including him, would eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So hey, that's one I haven't heard before. You know, I'll get yeah. pizza, I'll get McDonald's, I'll get tacos, but I haven't I haven't gotten that one before. That would be the only that's about the only thing yeah. for my family. So I would go with that. There you go. What flavor jelly does everybody eat? That's like a huge controversy in this house. <laughs> yeah, he will only eat I like blueberry, which I know is a little bit a little bit different, but he will only eat strawberry, so strawberry it is. That's what we're buying. Yeah, that's the same for us. And I had just pulled up this web. This was the one I was thinking about. And I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's called Equality Now. And it's just about fighting for a world for women and girls that's equal. So this is a good one. I'm going to, like I said, I'll put these into the show notes for everybody. And you can kind of go through them. And if you're feeling you want to get involved in something, then you can check check these out. So, all right, that's it. Thank you so much, Colleen. This was a wonderful conversation. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.